What the sust? 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 Hi, everyone. Today is a special edition of What the Sus podcast. In a few minutes, I'll be turning it over to Sophie, our host, as she conducts an interview with Rochelle Owen for this podcast. Hope you enjoy listening, and here's Sophie. Hey, folks. Welcome to a very special episode of What the Sus. I'm Sophie, your host this week, and I recently had the opportunity to sit down with Rochelle Owen just a month before she concludes her 16-year career at Dalhousie as the Executive Director of the Office of Sustainability. With three decades of experience in sustainability and environmental fields, Rochelle Owen has been leading the charge on Dalhousie's Halifax and Truro campuses to reduce water consumption and greenhouse gas emissions, update inefficient technology, and provide countless other sustainable innovations. Listen in as Rochelle answers our questions about her expert experience in the sustainability sector and provides advice for students like us and you who want to create a positive change against the climate crisis. Please sit back and enjoy. Cool. Um, Okay, so to start, we are wondering if you could introduce yourself and explain a little bit to our listeners what your role is here at Dalhousie, what your career has been so far and what you do. Bit of a big one, but. Okay. (laughs) So I am Rochelle Owen. I'm the executive director of the sustainability office here at Dalhousie University and uh, been working in the field for over 32 years. And my last jump at Dalhousie has been 16 years and it's primarily um, administrative focus. So really trying to look at the campus operations, the buildings, the grounds, uh, procurement and how we do these things to have more of a sustainable lens to them. Definitely. Cool. And you do that for Dalhousie campus here in Halifax, as well as for the one in Truro, the agriculture campus? That's correct. Yeah. Okay. That's awesome. That's really cool. Um, So one of our first questions is what compelled you to work in the sustainability sector? Well, I think probably there's a, a values alignment when I was young. We used to camp two months out of the year. And so I used to be in nature a lot and certainly an affinity and respect for nature would drive my interest in some of these areas. And um, through my academic career, I thought I was going to go into healthcare. I started with a bachelor of science focused on health education. And then I had some courses that linked health and the environment and I noticed that I read all the uh, journal articles before they were due, so that was a good indication that uh, I was quite interested in the field. Super cool. Um, So you've already accomplished so much. For our listeners, um, Rochelle has had many decades in the sector of sustainability and environmental sciences and stuff like that. Um, In particular, some of the accomplishments that we on the podcast are most familiar with and in awe of are the sustainable renovations and innovations on campuses like Dalhousie that you've done in frontline so far in the last 16 years. Um, Our question is, what accomplishments mean the most to you? And are there any that stand out to you that you take the most pride in? Well, I think being working at a university and how we interact with students is really uh, one of the things I really feel good about and, and positive about in the work of operations. You don't necessarily have to interact with students in a way because you're working on physical uh, uh, infrastructure 
And so I'm really happy that we had a method of doing the work we did, uh, engaging many students. So probably every year between 50 and 100 students, whether it's class projects or internships. And so through that, we would learn together and also it would be great for resume building and, uh, you know, keeps current on different technologies. So that was one of the things that I enjoyed um, a lot at the university. Some other kind of things that were, I think, very beneficial is we created some governance structures that enabled a lot of things to happen. So on the financing side, myself and the VP and the head of finance created a what we call an uncapped green revolving fund. So some universities have a green revolving fund where they put in, you know, 10 million or 5 million, and then they do utility projects and the savings pay back the uh, revolving fund. In the case of Dow, uh, we didn't do that. We have a process where we have business cases that our office creates with our partners like facilities and ancillary services. And then we and then we write grants and get all the financing together. And then we are able to leverage that money. So through that mechanism with between Dalhousie and our partners, we've leveraged about 100 million um, in investments and different projects around the campus uh, through the last 12 years. So I think uh, when you're thinking about change and strategy, uh, you know, in this world, I'm a practitioner. I did teach campus as a living lab one, one year way back when, and uh, certainly lecture in uh, different courses, but largely my role as a practitioner is how do you make this stuff happen? And so how you make it happen is uh, through collaboration, but you need mechanisms, governance mechanisms to unlock and leverage resources. So that's a, a good example. If we hadn't had that financial structure and um, positioning, we wouldn't have been able to leverage all that money for climate and energy projects. Yeah, that's that's brilliant. Um, that kind of segues into another question that we have, which is um, especially because you your career, you started off doing a lot of education is my understanding um, with like the YMCA and uh, I can't remember the name, but it was, absor it was absorbed by somebody else and it was a lot of youth education programs was my understanding and it's interesting that now you've transitioned to the practitioner type of role and um for us on the podcast we all obviously have interest in sustainability sector and potential careers and yeah. obviously want to make change positive change however we can what advice would you have for students like us and is it something that we need to pursue careers in or what for for making positive change what is the advice that you would have for us well you know I, I just like to come out of the gate on a positive note, right? You're in the College of Sustainability, I think. Yeah. Yeah. So I think having a minor major in sustainability is really helpful because it already sig signals to employers that you have this focus in mind. And the, there's so many things that you could be when, you know, you're out there in, in, in the employment area. So I always like to think about it from a sector point of view. You could work a nonprofit and you could, in the nonprofit world, you could be doing policy work, you could be doing education, you could even have a, a technical role or community-based programming. So groups like College Action Center or Clean Foundation or the Nature Trust, 
or the Confederacy of Mainland Mi'kmaq. Those are all quite large uh, nonprofits. If you're interested in energy, certainly Efficiency Nova Scotia has over 100 people now and it's growing. So if you look at it as a sector point of view, there's like nonprofit, municipal, provincial, federal, and indigenous government. There's the private sector, there's academia. And in academia, if you look at our office, we don't teach, but we're about trying to make it happen. But you could also be in the in the faculty side of things and in the research thing. So really, sustainability and the aspirations to do good in this area is in every sector. Uh, so there's a, there's a lot of opportunity. And we need more people uh, because we do have quite a large energy transition that we need to do. And there's also really important social questions that we still keep need to keep on top of around things like supply chains and, and human rights. Absolutely. That's that's a really promising answer. It sounds to me like, you know, you can find sustainability focused jobs all over at this point. And I think you you can tailor your skills to the job and your sustainability knowledge is another element of uh of you know, things that you have to offer. Cool. Um, just for, to entertain some of our listeners who might not be sustainability focused or have a minor or major, do you have any advice for those people who not don't necessarily uh, go that way naturally, but are interested in creating positive change in the sustainability sector? So, you know, when I graduated a long time ago with my undergrad in uh, 91, you know, there was no sustainability. The word sustainability wasn't really out there, right? You were you were either an environmental practitioner. So when I first started, I was in the environmental field. And like, I always like to say, now I'm in sustainability field, my spreadsheet just got bigger. So before it was pollution and uh, natural resource issues, and then health issues around justice or human health air quality and then when I became the sustainability director I added on net present value internal rate of return life cycle costing so really the sustainability realm is trying to look at all these variables and come out with decisions that you know make the best decision trying to balance and keep those things in harmony it can be challenging uh, sometimes because sometimes the capital costs of doing some of these strategies are higher, though the life cycle cost may be better, but if people don't wanna invest for a longer than a 30 year horizon, then it can be kind of, be, can be challenging. But uh, those are the kind of things that, you know, even if you have a science background or arts background, international development, you can learn on the job, you can do professional accreditation programs. So for example, I have a certificate in financial management because I have my background is more health and environment. And when I started to do a lot of business case development, I went to Cornell University online and I did that. So I think if you have a particular interest in uh, like renewable energy or whatever you want to start with, you can craft, uh, you know, on the job, you can learn from people and learn yourself and then also get professional accreditation or go back to school to get more, uh, more, uh, accreditation on, on that front. 
Yeah, for sure. That's definitely one of the things that we try to uh, share with our listeners. Most of all, is that like, we can all do something, you know, no matter what it is, something will come up, something will, and it can be just what you're interested in. And I think that's probably the most interesting thing for us to kind of relay to our listeners. Um, One thing that we also wanted to ask you about was uh, challenges, because obviously working in sustainability and environmental sectors, um, you've been in this game for longer than I've been alive. And you've been dealing with this since, um, since before climate change was widely accepted, even as a real thing. So could you go into some of the like, maybe one or two or ones that stand out to you as challenges that you face constantly or repetitively in sustainability and how you overcome them? Sure, yeah. And so I think just norms, if something is the norm, and you're offering something different, it, it means that uh, you have you have to kind of get everybody on board or you're not going to get everybody on board. That's the first thing. Might, <laughs> yeah, it's so it'll, it'll be a portion of the population. But just for example, here at Dow, when I started, there was no sustainability office and, and no programs. And we know green building is usually two to 10 percent higher capital cost in the beginning. But you have a life cycle cost and and so how do we go from, okay, I'm telling people now we're going to have to spend more money in building projects that are already always under budget, right? Um, so the, the strategy there was to write a policy that tr- tries to create a standard for performance. So there, you know, no program's perfect, but the lead program for Canada Green Building Council is a well-recognized program that's third-party certified. Does it cost a little more? Yes, it does. Uh, is it perfect? No, but it definitely helps you drive to a, ter- a certain target. And so by writing that policy, that is now in a contract. And so because it's in the contract, it will get done pretty much. You know, there's always the occasion where it won't. Um, and so that is changing a norm by being strategic about getting a policy in place and then coming behind and try to get funding um, for some of these things. So that's kind of our strategy in green building was I wrote the policy and then we have to strategize and work with our peers. The other thing I would say is um, never make assumptions and always be humble because, you know, I've learned a lot from my colleagues and facilities about buildings and you know, things that we may assume may may be not the full story. Um, It may be not the right problem. So, you know, I see that a lot, even, you know, if we jump to conclusions, it actually may not resolve itself in a good strategy. So, um, so some of the challenges around norms, another one big is financing and resources. You may have all the ambition and interest in the world uh, but if you can't afford something, uh, it's not going to happen. So the university also has a debt cap, like a MasterCard. Think about it that way, right? Yeah. And it can't borrow over a certain uh, amount. So even though if we have a payment structure for a big climate project, we still have a limit on what can be spent. And there's multiple competing interests, right? There's competing interests for housing or a new science building or 
there's me going, let's spend 150 million on decarbonizing our district energy system, right? So it's it's all those sort of challenges of the multi-dimensions of, of things and and just knowing we don't have all the money in the world to do everything that we want to do. Absolutely. Yeah, that definitely seems like one of the biggest challenges. Um, and I think also for me, I'm definitely not um, an economically uh, minded person. I'm definitely on the environmental side, hardcore. And it's very interesting to talk to you because you seem to have both of them very perfectly balanced. <laughs> yeah, Is that like something that has taken lots of lots of practice or? <laughs> I would say when I was younger, I was very more, you know, my experience and values in education was more in the environment health area. I definitely developed uh, financial and business acumen over the years, whether as a director, when I was at uh, Clean Foundation or at the federal government, when I was involved in, in big projects there, and certainly at Dalhousie from my uh, from external working on all these building projects and my colleagues and facilities. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's, I, I find that very fascinating to me because it's, it's very much um, like a real world example of what you spoke about previously about, you know, finding like more, finding more knowledge on the job and like going out there and, and just trying something and then you gain. And it seems like sustainability because it's such a new sector in a lot of ways. It feels like a lot of people are pretty much learning on the job. <laughs> we all are together in a way <laughs> yeah no I would say like you do have a little more foundation now with the, the major and minor so you're coming out you know when I was in at clean I went to a one-week intensive sustainability um, international sustainability course with the Harmony Foundation and that was really kind of the only group offering that kind of sustainability lens around uh, uh, around at the time. So the fact that, you know, we do have the college and we do have master's courses teaching some of these important interlinkage and principles, I think that's starts you off on a good foot anyway. Absolutely, I totally agree. I feel very well prepared through sustainability courses because um, it's that interconnecting lens that it, it's, you start to see the whole world as connected, which it is. So. It's cool. <laughs> um, another question that I find is at the front of my mind is relating to burnout, because you have been working in sustainability, environmental sectors for years and years. And I want to know how you deal with burnout. I'm, I'm going to safely assume that you face it sometimes and deal with it. And so if you would just kind of go into that a little bit and how you deal with that. So yes, yeah, so I'm just going to come out and say, yes, I deal with burnout sometimes. <laughs> and I find, you know, there's a lot going on, right? For everybody, I think I can say that safely. There's a lot of global issues going on with the war and pandemic and climate change. And, and there's a lot of change. There's a lot of change in computers and artificial intelligence. And so there's a lot of change and there's, a, and there's conflict. There's always, so one thing I would say, there's always conflict in the world and so just sitting with that and knowing that you know if you're on the side of peace and justice and trying to good, do good things sometimes you may feel overwhelmed that it's not making a difference and 
And, you know, my partner always says to me, well, if that was the case and all of us in this area felt that way and didn't do anything, it would, we would be out of harmony. So mm. we kind of need us. And so how do we, how do we kind of sit with that and know that sometimes we may be overwhelmed is I personally came up with my personal escape is nature and different people have different escapes. But for me, I like to say I'm leaving the land of the human and, and entering the land of everything else in the world. So, so for me, what's restorative is uh, being out in nature, kayaking, getting away, that kind of thing. And, and I'm fortunate I, I can get a little farther out, but, you know, even in the city, uh, it takes more work for sure. But there are uh, nature areas, uh, conservation areas that are on bus routes, which is which is great. Mm -hmm. So I think finding what, how you can restore yourself. Another thing that uh, I think is helpful is networks. So if you're part of different networks and you share common um, work with people, then they all face similar similar issues and challenges and then it's a good time for you to share together and it's okay sometimes to feel downtrodden or you know beat up a bit and then if you can share together and and support each other I think that's important too so finding those networks and spaces you can do that but it's probably true that at some point in your career you'll you'll feel burnt out and then the last thing I'll say on that is sometimes a change is good. Like not everybody's like that. For me, it's every, you know, 10 to 15 years, a good, it's good for me to change it up. Mm -hmm. And that's good because for me, it refreshes me to try something new. And there's so many people that can, uh, you know, do different jobs. So sometimes it's also good for the institution to have a new, a new face and a new framework of how to think about things. Absolutely. That's, yeah, that's a really good point. Um, and so do you find that you can maintain motivation in this field by switching things up and changing your focus? Yeah, I, th I think that's my plan anyway. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just, so I'm switching it up at the end of the year and uh, got to work for myself and then there'll be somebody else in this role. And I think, you know, that's good because they'll have a different, different skills and different strengths that will you know be advantageous for the university in in whatever regard that is absolutely um so actually on kind of the note of moving forward we have heard that you're working on a sustainable literacy course so do you mind going into that a little bit a bit um telling us what that will entail and what you believe is the most important about communicating sustainability well, we in our office, and uh, Alexa, I believe, is a TA in the in the course. So, uh, only about ten years ago, we I developed an employee sustainability lit literacy program, and it had um, sixteen hours of of sort of modules on key concept key concept areas. So, green building, waste, uh, climate change, energy, food, uh, procurement. And then it had an action project of 10 hours. And so the idea was to engage employees in sustainability, knowledge and concepts, and then engage them in a workplace activity. So uh, fortunately, Alexa is going to uh, take 
that and build on it with other colleagues and I think the college and the faculty of open learning to kind of make it an offering hopefully uh, for employers outside the university and for Dalhousie employees. On the student front, I know the college with Peter Musket, he's working on and, and previous capstone course and others, I think at the college <clears throat> are working on a micro credential for sustainability uh, to try, you know, our goal at the President's Advisory Council on Sustainability, one of the recommendations we have is that every Dow student uh, graduate with sustainability learning outcomes. And there's different ways you could achieve that. One could be through, uh, you know, a micro-credential. We were advocating for a full course that could be taught hybrid with some concepts taught in situ and then the actual or online rather, and then the more practical, relatable things to your discipline in 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 the uh, in the faculty. So uh, those are, I think, where those different um, options are standing. But certainly, uh, you know, thankful that there are courses and programs uh, in our master's level and and undergrad that are focusing on some of these important issues. Absolutely. I thought, yeah, Alexa is the one who mentioned this course to us, um, the sustainable literacy course. And I just think it's brilliant. I think communicating sustainability is one of the most interesting things to me. And I think it's just, it's, um, we do have a privilege in sustainability courses of kind of getting a look at a very holistic view of things. And I, and I do think I've, I've speak, spoken to my friends who are in different courses at Dalhousie without sustainability focuses. And they just don't like, they just, you know, they, they do miss out on a chunk of knowledge. You know what I mean? On a, on a interdisciplinary look at things that sustainability just has through every course that you interact with, which I find is super valuable. And hearing that this is something that could be a requirement for all Dalhousie students. I think that's brilliant and such a great legacy to leave behind here. Like among all of the other brilliant things you've done for Dalhousie university. Well, I definitely can't take ownership over that where the college, but I'm definitely a supportive advocate. And I would say too, that uh, I'm just kind of the front, the front singer on some of this in terms of the band, right? And mm -hmm. uh, there is so many people uh, on our teams, whether in our office or facilities or people we hire through the engineering committee community that, uh, that make these things happen. I'm kind of like the producer at a movie. I get, you know, help get the money and get the project going, but ultimately we've been successful in leveraging a lot of money and making a lot of change because we, our focus niche is on that area. As soon as the project's approved by the board or whoever in the university, we go, we go on to our next project and the the people that actually deliver the project uh, do that part. So I do want to mention that it is definitely a full team effort. And yeah, I'm kind of just leader of the band sometimes. So you sort of get to go around and imbue sustainability mindsets and ways of thinking into different aspects of the university. Right. Yeah, yeah. that's really, that's very important though. <laughs> Um, when you talk about the the teams that are so important to uh, achieving sustainability goals, uh, what do you think makes the teams that you've interacted with so strong and effective? I think uh, 
we've been very successful in some some projects uh, by understanding the scope of the problem and working with many different people that have certain skills. So for example, um, on our biomass cogen project, uh, we met with foresters. We did an RFQ, which is a request, uh, before you do a request for proposals, you do an RFQ if you wanna learn more from the industry. And so it's being humble about that. You don't know everything. And actually some of the experts you seek to understand more knowledge from is, is in the community or in industry or in wherever. And so by taking sometimes these approaches and working, we hire a lot of consultants and we work with people that has particular expertise. And, you know, in this case, it was biomass cogen. My expertise would be on the grant writing, but also on the values part. So it was really important that we have a value statement around the biomass. We don't want to be cutting up the forest to use for energy. So it was based on a, you know, a, a locational area. It was based on sawmill residue, like using waste residue. It had to have high air quality efficiency. So there's no what what they say, free lunch, right? There's no magic sustainability thing that has everything attached to it. It's usually some hard work to try to think through all the different aspects of it. And ultimately it's not gonna be a hundred percent, but you definitely wanna shoot for that 90% or so and, uh, and, and keep going for it. So understanding how you actually do processes is really important what the who who's in the team and what role they have and respecting uh, respecting those roles i think is important too mm -hmm. um <clears throat> it sounded like in this last um situation you're talking about there is a bit of a trade-off situation which we in sustainability recognize we hear it in all of our courses as the kind of inevitable thing that happens with sustainability issues because it involves so many sectors, there will be a trade-off where, you know, you will get some benefits, but there will be some negatives. And I'm sure you've experienced a lot of situations like this throughout your career. Do you have any examples that come right to mind that would be valuable to share with our listeners? Sure. Well, look at energy, for example. Okay, so you can heat your home with oil, gas, biomass, or now a heat pump. That heat pump is powered by electricity. In Nova Scotia, the electricity is 51% coal, gas, wind, some hydro. So does anybody think there's an absolute 100% if it, you know, sustainable heating source right now? No. So then it's like, okay, how, how can you use less? I always start with the same principle, whatever topic we're talking about whether it's food or or waste it's basically do you need it at all like can you just avoid doing anything like taken to the extreme it'd be like well you're not living right <laughs> you know by being alive you have some energy inputs you need uh so but the first principle i find is like do you need to consume any material matter and then if the answer is yes, how can you be the most efficient and the most, the less impactful? 
So you use a lot less of it. So in the case of energy, it's like, okay, do I need it at all? Can I get it for free? So passive. Um, can I be super efficient? So whatever I'm using is a lot less. And then what, what's left over? What is the air quality implications? What are the human rights implications of it? Where is it coming from? How are you utilizing it efficiently? What is the waste product? So it kind of follows the same, same line. So there's no, there's better, I think there's better decisions in that train, right? That will help guide you. Is there a hundred percent answer with food, for example, another good example. I'll just use myself. I was born into a, a, a classic, I would call it classic diet. I gave up meat in my 20s. I gave up chicken in my 30s. I gave up fish five years ago. I gave up a lot of dairy um, recently. Am I vegan? No. Am I close? Yes. But what, what was I doing? I was evolving. For me, my philosophy was I didn't want to eat brains. So it's, I still eat bivalves. So am I a vegan? No, am I vegetarian? Sort of. And then, but you know, there's an evolution as well is what I'm saying. For me, that's my evolution. I'm still on that path of evolving for what I think in terms of impact and animal rights and 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 so that's a, a personal journey but i think um you know each decision is going to have some reflection on that so the reflection of my partner of my journey is i'm now 55 and i'm losing body mass because of protein mm -hmm. right so there's always a trade-off then you go okay or beans or whatever <laughs> yeah that's that's very that's very interesting also it's very much like um we really try to share with our listeners that like little things can really make a difference so I really love seeing that transition of what you've gone through for the, your life like in your diet is very interesting and I think really a lot of what I think is not really understood widely is just the fact that like little things really do add up to create big changes and like the little changes can turn into big changes someday. So that's really interesting. Um, one other thing that I also would love if you could share some information on is just about hope in general. We talked about burnout and we did talk a little bit about like what motivates you, but um, I think that it's very common for people our age right now and our listeners to feel very hopeless with the way the world is right now. Um, <laughs> Usually we can find some hope here and there, but is there anything you could say on to that for someone who's been fighting this fight for longer than we've been alive? What would you say to the new generation right now or the generation who is soon going to be, you know, the world's going to be in our hands soon enough? <laughs> so first of all, I would say every generation needs to, to, to provide hope and, and step up, including my generation. I'm not a big fan of hearing at these lectures and sessions about leaving it all to the younger generation our generation needs to step up you know when you think about oil and gas at its time it was thought about and it has brought people out of poverty it was thought of as a good thing so things of the past that were thought about as good 
may manifest themselves later on as we see later the impacts of that. So hope is it can be a transient thing around kind of issues. But I would also say I'm not a big fan of people taking the light out of people. So I hope in the College of Sustainability courses, and I imagine they will, they don't take the light out of you by telling you everything that's bad in the whole universe, because that's not going to build people up to make change. So I'm glad to see that that they are providing a balanced perspective on how we need to move forward. So I would say hope is essential uh, to getting out of bed and then moving on and having trust in people. It is hard, though, when you can see a lot of things that are going on. And sometimes what I say is like disconnect. I also see, um, you know, the connection between what we do in a day and its disconnection from nature can be problematic. And so I, I do think hope, sometimes hope lies in disconnecting and getting outside and getting outside of what you're doing at that moment. Getting outside of your brain, I guess, is, is uh, good. And being with each other, being with people uh, that are supportive of you. I think that's important too, but we, we do need hope and, mm -hmm. and uh, we can't, we can't lay everything on the younger generation to solve. Yeah, absolutely. Um, one thing that I also wanted to ask personally was like, um, on, on the same note, like, this is more of a literal question, like, but what, what in your field, like, what have you done? What have you seen that gives you hope? Like, you know, what have, what changes have you seen over the course of your career, I guess? Yeah, no, that's a, that's a good reflection. That would be a good, that would be a good article to try to give people some wins, right? Mm -hmm. and if we think of acid rain, uh, sulfur, sulfur dioxide has definitely decreased since the seventies. The ozone layer, there's still, you know, things going on, but, you know, there was a massive change in refrigerants. That was a global, a global pact. And Canada at the time was a leader in negotiating, um, you know, refrigerants changes. It was a little easier issue to deal with because it was the uh, one, one or two big industries. It's the chemical industry and the HVAC industry. So you can let, you can regulate it. I used to work at Environment Canada at the time mm -hmm. um, of those kinds of things. And so there has been multi, multi-international packs around DDT. So there's been a lot of different sort of chemicals. There's still chemicals going on and being created, but there has been some change. We are seeing in, in Halifax as an example, uh, better air quality still could be better. Obviously, when we have a change to less combustion of fossil fuels and better air quality for biomass, um, then you're going to see air quality improvements in the city when we get off of diesel buses. Uh, so uh, that that is good as well. There are more regulations around uh, pollutants, environmental assessment, um, and and different mechanisms. I guess a positive of social media is that sometimes you can get in there and people can see what's going on more readily than what you could have been before. On the flip side, there's a lot of misinformation that can cloud 
what's going on as well. But uh, so so there has been some changes. I protected areas. Now, of course, it's all it's all time and scale. Like uh, an elder uh, from Anna uh, from uh, I can't remember which First Nation in Ontario recently was at a climate change conference, and she was talking about you know the First Nations mode of transportation was the canoe, so carbon free. <laughs> Uh, and so it is very true like over the last 400 years the industrialization um, has changed a lot of things I would say in the last 40 years protected areas has definitely gone up in Canada the targets even since six years ago when I was on the board of the Nature Trust the target for Nova Scotia was 15 percent uh, protected area and now it's gone up to 20 so, wow. and that's biologists, cool. yeah, biologists say it should be 50. That's great. Honestly, it's, it's, that just bolstered me up. That just made me feel really good. I love hearing all of these things. And it's yeah. so, uh, you mentioned social media and I think it is that so often um, a doom and gloom type of place. Um, even though there are people very clearly caring and, and thinking about the climate change, they're not often sharing the good things that are happening or the potential. It's a lot more of the, what are we going to do guys? But people are doing stuff, you know, and that's great. Thank you for sharing all those examples. Yeah. Um, I guess one good question to kind of sort of wrap things up a bit is, and it's kind of a, it's kind of a two-parter is just what would you say is like your biggest takeaway from your 16 years working at Dow and what do you look forward to moving forward into your own consulting business in the future? Well, I think uh, some oops, big takeaways working at Dow is just uh, listening, listening to people. Always been a collaborator, but really trying to meet with people in all parts of the university, whether student or custodial or vice president or whoever. And I remember when I first started, I did 40, 40 interviews of students and VPs, presidents and custodial and managers to ask them what they thought about uh, different aspects of sustainability. And I think, you know, sometimes the answers lay there collectively and it's really how can you how can you how can you have the tools to make um bring all that collective knowledge together and then come up with a, a practical uh, project so so i'll miss working with uh, my colleagues and and also miss engaging with students no question and then as my new career uh i'll have freedom and flexibility and I can still hire students and I can still engage with many 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 different groups so I'm looking forward to working with a number of different organizations when I worked in the federal government I used to work for Atlantic Canada and so I enjoyed meeting with community representatives all across the region so I I look forward to that that's brilliant. That's so excited. We're very excited for you. And thank you so much for the time you've given us today and all the information. This has been so lovely. Um, is there any other thing that you would love to just share with our listeners? I mean, it's your opportunity to speak to the Dalhousie community as a whole. Great. Well, I uh, thank you for taking the time to do this uh, podcast. And I wish you all the great success in, in, your, in your careers. And uh, I'm always 
excited to hear when I'm at like summits and I look around and I see so many alumni from Dalhousie doing great things. So I wish everybody the best. Thank you so much. We wish the best for you. And thank you for everything you've done for Dalhousie for the last 16 years. It's been brilliant. Really can't say how much, like can't stress to you how much uh, this has been just a brilliant interview. And thank you so much for sharing your time with us. Thank you and have a great day. Cool. You too. See ya. Wow, friends, I am still reeling from such a fantastic conversation with Rochelle. She is so brilliant and easy to talk to. I hope that you as our listeners got as much knowledge and comfort from our discussion as I did. Hearing from an expert who has successfully created sustainable change and has been doing so for decades is so necessary for us as students and younger people to feel like it is something that we can do too. I loved how she described the processes she goes through when trying to shift norms by creating new standards and policies. This process and so many other aspects of what Rochelle explained to us today reinforces what we at What the Sust want our listeners to understand. Small, individual changes can add up to huge ones. Rochelle's repeated acknowledgement of the teams and colleagues she works with to reach sustainability goals does this as well. Even a powerhouse of sustainable innovation like Rochelle Owen needs the help and support of her community. We hope you benefited from Rochelle's expertise as much as we did and want to share our appreciation once again to Rochelle Owen for sharing her time and wisdom with us. That's all for today, and we'll see you on the next episode of What the Sust. Do you have any questions or comments about our conversation today? Please send us an email at wtsust at gmail.com. We want to hear from you. Maybe we'll even talk about it in a future episode. And a disclaimer, while this podcast is supported by the College of Sustainability at Dalhousie University, the thoughts and beliefs shared by hosts do not reflect the views of Dalhousie University.